0: Well, we are very grateful when we hear about how God is changing people's worldviews. It absolutely is something that we've been talking about in this sermon series. When you know the truth, the truth sets you free to think differently, to believe differently, to have a different outcome of our future. Well, how many of you got an opportunity? I shared with you last week that on Thursday night you had the opportunity to see A guy named Kyle Maynard that spoke for our hospice banquet. It was a virtual banquet. Again, this, uh, well, not again, but for the first time ever. And did anybody get to see um, Kyle? Well, good, a few of y'all did. Born with no hands and no feet. I don't know about y'all, but I was inspired to just listen to his, his amazing story. And uh, you you think about the things that we complain about and the things that we limit ourselves in doing. And this guy has done all these amazing things, so it was very encouraging. I want to share, we're going to continue our series in 1 Corinthians. I want to tell you a story uh, that happened to me probably over 20 years ago when I was in my first full-time youth ministry position. And um, I had been in this church for about four years I've uh, been working with middle school and high school students and uh, even college students. and we. This was in the 90's so we were in the middle of worship wars. Do you remember the worship wars when contemporary and, and all that was going on? And so our church, we only had one service and all that was going on. Well it had gotten a little tense in the church I was serving and so uh, there was going to be this big congregational meeting on a, I think it was a Saturday night, and um, I was like, you know what? I really don't want the kids to see some of this because it might get kind of crazy. The things that people might say and do during a congregational meeting. If y'all have ever been in one of those, and so I had the bright idea with the other um, uh, guy that helped us with with our uh, high school and, and middle school. I said, hey, let's go to the Braves game that night and let's take the kids and by the time we get back from the Braves game that that meeting will be over and then they don't have to see any of that that's a great idea so that's what we did we got a bunch of tickets and we had we had a lot of kids go to the Braves game and um, y'all we pulled up to the church after the Braves game and to my horror it was still the parking lot was still full (laughs) and this is probably 11 o'clock at night (laughs) and um, I walk in, and some kids, you know, this was before cell, I mean, you know, nobody, not many people had a, had a cell phone at that time. Um, some kids' parents were waiting on them, and they went, but a lot of these kids' parents were in that meeting, so they came into this meeting, and we sat in the back. And let me just give you what was going on. So um, the chairman of the board at that time had hired a stenographer to keep notes of the whole meeting. That's how tense things were. Now, we laugh about that, but I'm going, this, this, this is kind of embarrassing. So I'm sitting back there, and I'm, I'm hearing people come up to the podium and share their opinions about what the worship should be like. And it, 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 I was just embarrassed. I was like, this, this, and I'm going, I'm, I'm looking at these kids that are in our youth group, and I'm going, what, what are they thinking about their church what are they thinking about their leaders right now? That my particular type of worship is so important that I'm angry about it. That I've got to get up. And, and the, the silver lining to all of this, y'all, was basically this. At least we didn't go to court. <laughs> we didn't actually take this to a court. We, we finally you know, worked these things out. And um, uh, <clears throat> actually, in a few years, the church actually split into two churches over it. But I just thought about that, I thought at least we didn't completely defeat ourselves by taking it to court. So we've been doing this series called, Has God Left the Building? Godly Wisdom in a World that Knows Better. And it feels like sometimes that God has left the building, and we're, we're, we're fine, we're doing everything, we're under control, we're doing it our way. And we, we say we, we love God, we say we know God's Word, we want to follow God's Word, but There comes times in our lives, there comes topics in our lives, certain things where we say, but I know better. I know what God's Word says, but I know better. In this culture, in this technologically advanced age we live in, things have changed. And maybe God didn't quite understand that when He had the Bible written. And things have changed. So... We're going to continue looking at Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And today, uh, we're going to look at something that may seem odd to us. And uh, taking someone to court over to dispute, he's going to actually talk to the Corinthians about this. And that may seem odd. Uh, I was talking to someone this morning saying, yeah, that was an interesting topic last week that you talked about. Well, I'm just reading the Bible, y'all. There's a lot of interesting stuff in there. There's a lot of things. And again, if it's God's word, it is applicable to us always if we really read it and look at it. So we're going to look at, um, again, Paul calling them out, this Corinthian church, because they had a lot of issues. If you remember, he started this church, spent a year and a half of his life pouring into these people, teaching them about what it means to be a follower of Jesus in every aspect of your life, not just at church but in every aspect of your life. And he's hearing all these things that are going on outside of the church that is a reflection on these people who call themselves Jesus followers. And he's saying, I don't like what I'm hearing. So he writes this letter to them to address some of these issues. So you think about taking someone to court over a dispute. Well, isn't that what courts are for? Well, yes, that's what they are. But Paul's argument, as we're going to read in just a minute, is that when we become Jesus followers... We behave differently. We react differently. We respond differently than the world. Uh, Meaning those who do not necessarily know Jesus or follow Jesus. But our reactions and things that we act on and respond to is very different. And it should make an impact on the rest of the world who does not know Jesus. So that they will want to know Jesus. Case in point, what y'all just shared. When someone has this aspect of how things are going to be. And now they understand who God is. It changes their worldview. So we're going to look at chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. And you can look on, and thank you, it's on on the screen for us. So it says this, If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court. And this in front of unbelievers. The very fact... That you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Underline that word, were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So again, Paul does not have a problem dealing with issues Head on like this, and he, he addresses this particular one. And this may seem odd to us, but it's very um, uh, w- what we understand from history. It's very possible that in Corinth, what was going on and what he's specifically addressing, because you're going, why, why can't you take somebody to court if you've been um, someone's done something that is, is obviously wrong and they won't make it right? How do, how do you go about this? You know, what's wrong? Aren't we supposed to try to get justice in these situations? Is God against that, us having justice? Well, absolutely not. But in Corinth, what we think is there were a few wealthy people in this particular church. Now, in this time, in this first century, very few people in this empire, in this area, owned land or owned homes. They had to rent it. They had to lease these things. They were at someone else's, you know, mercy as a landlord... Uh, or a landowner to get their way of life or whatever. So what we think is happening from what I was able to study a little bit is that some of these wealthy landowners were taking some of these poorer people to court in order to get money. Because they knew they could do it in the church and try to work out a deal that would help these people, but instead they wanted rather to make the money. So... A couple of things I want to address here. Did you notice that he says something about, do you not know that we will judge angels? Did anybody get that part and go, what? What does that mean? Is that weird? <laughs> I'm glad some of y'all were listening, okay? So like go, where did that come from? What is he talking about? Do you not know that we will be part of the judgment? What is he talking about there? Well, I'm going to go and I'm going to read a lot of different scriptures today in this sermon because I want us to understand how these things that we don't necessarily understand, if we look deep enough, if when we start uncovering things, we realize that from the beginning to the end of the Bible, these things are woven together. And if we'll really look, we'll see that there is a reason for these things. That Paul's referring to. And so I'm gonna to go to Daniel, the book of Daniel. We probably know Daniel probably primarily for Daniel and the Lion's Den, right? But we also know it's a very interesting book of prophecy that talks about things that were to happen and that will happen. And so uh, that's what it is. So I'm gonna look at Daniel 7 21 and 22, and this is what Paul is referring to. It's up on the screen. Thank you very much. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. Daniel is describing a dream he has that's from God. Until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. So Daniel is referring to this time when the holy, the, uh, the holy One, the Ancient of Days, is going to come. Jesus' return, and then he will be, there will be a judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. Those who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they will possess the kingdom. And then Jesus, in chapter 19 of Matthew's Gospel, says this... Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So this is what Paul is talking about. He knows the Old Testament. He knows what Jesus said, and he's trying to tie this all into what's going on in their particular cultural situation. Now, I want to ask you this, and you don't necessarily have to answer it. But did that clear things up for you? Some of you are going, sort of. It's still, but he's saying there's something that's going to happen, and we're a part of that. So Paul is referring to I believe what God says in Daniel, I believe what Jesus said about the end of times. And so he's saying, if that is really who we are, people of the most high God, then we ought to behave and act in a different way that we believe what he says is going to happen in the future. But he says it's not happening in your church, you're doing these things. Paul asked, "Why don't you have people within the church settle these disputes?" Now, I'll be honest. There's times in life where we have to get together with people and say, "Hey, this is happening in the church," and we have to sit down with people and talk to them about things. Some of y'all been involved with that when two friends get sideways about something, and you have to come together and say, "Hey, let's talk about these things." That happens, and um, when one person or group tries to do all of that, it can become overwhelming. Now, in Exodus 18, Jethro, if you remember, who was Moses' father-in-law, he watched Moses one day and says, Moses, I'm watching what you do from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, and you know what? You're trying to settle all these disputes. He goes, this is crazy. You've got to be exhausted. And I'm, I'm listening to these petty things that the people are bringing to you. He goes, you know what you need to do? You need to have people that will do, help you do this. And it was called delegation, and Jethro instructed, you know, Moses, this is what you ought to do. And so Moses did do this, and it took a lot of the burden off him. And this is the same kind of thing that Paul is saying to the the church. He's not saying that there's something necessarily wrong with the Roman court system. It's there for a reason, although there were probably instances of corruption that we know about. But Paul actually used this system in some cases. It actually helped him. When we read, go back to Acts chapter 18, we read about, this is when Paul was actually in Corinth. And I'm just going to read from chapter 12 to 15. While Gallio was pro of Achaia, the, Jewish, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in many ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So the Roman pro there basically in that area says, I'm not going to deal with this. You ought to be able to work that out yourselves, you religious people. Now you just see what even he saw that. Why can't you people who say you worship God do this on your own? Why are you bringing it to me? This is petty. I don't even, under, I don't even know how to judge this. Because it's all your stuff. You should be able to do that yourselves. And so as we, as we think about that, um, eventually we know that Paul even appealed to Caesar... And he went all the way up the court system. So he's not saying that you shouldn't ever use the court system. But what he is saying is certainly we should be able to work out disputes among ourselves like we talked about last week with your brothers or sisters. We should be able to, to do as Jesus said in Matthew 18. If I feel like I've been wronged, I need to go to my brother or to my sister and say, this is what happened. I don't know if you intentionally did that, but I want you to know it hurt me. And I need, to, I need to just share that with you. Like we said last week, instead of going to everybody else, we go to that person. And he says, if you if you can get through that, you've won your brother over. And the relationship can be restored. Or sometimes we have to take a couple of people with us to help us get through that. And we have to think about those things. But when the world, those who do not follow Jesus, see... We who say we follow Jesus, having lawsuits against each other and going to the secular government to solve these things, he says, you have already been what? Completely defeated. What does he mean by that? What are they completely defeated about? What is it that they are defeated in? Defeated in what, Paul? Defeated in reflecting who God is and what it means to be in a relationship with Him. We ought to be able to work things out. Defeated in showing the world that God's love and grace can be apparent in people's lives even when we're wrong. I can still see that. Defeated in showing the world that following Jesus is counterculture. I know what everybody else does, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be different because I want to show who God is. Defeated in showing humility and putting others first defeated in seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And so that's what Paul is addressing. You remember Paul, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Paul's going to refer, he's really referring to Jesus' teaching. But Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, um, verses 38 through 42. um, I want to look at that for a minute. Jesus said this, You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is what Paul is saying. This is what Jesus taught. This is what Jesus lived. Even though we've heard Jesus teaching on this, even though we might be familiar, yeah, I've heard that, you know, and I for an eye I know. Jesus said, this is what the world said. This is the world's wisdom. But I'm telling you, you have to have a higher standard, and that's God's wisdom. And he says, you know, when it comes to our personal situation, sometimes we think it's different. I know what God's Word says, but God doesn't really understand this situation. And I do, I do need to sue somebody. I do need to get justice. Because we fall into the trap of believing worldly wisdom over godly wisdom. And we think like this about things. If you don't take them to court and make them do the right thing, and bring them to justice through the court system, then they will get away with it. And then they'll keep doing it to other people. So it's my responsibility to take that person to court and make sure that, they, that justice is served. But here's the the problem. Of course, it seems right that that's what we should do. Isn't God about justice? Shouldn't we use the court system to bring about justice? Of course. But how do we bring about justice? Is it through injustice? And Paul is saying there's some things going on in this particular church where, yeah, you can go and use legal ways to make somebody do something, but I'm telling you, brothers and sisters in Christ, it should be different. And he doesn't give us a specific example, but I think he knows that there are, and this particular church knows what he's talking about. So then Paul asks some very odd and hard questions. He says, why not rather be wronged? What? Why not rather be wronged? I don't like to be wronged. Do you like to be wronged? I don't like it. Why not rather be cheated? Paul, are are you crazy? What do you mean, why should I be wronged? Why should I be cheated? But he's saying, why not look at that as an option? That seems crazy, doesn't it? I'm not going to be wronged. I'm not going to be cheated. I'm not not a doormat. That's a crazy question, Paul. Why would we just accept being wronged and cheated instead of trying to get justice? But he's getting to the core of this, and it's about a selfishness that's going on in this particular church. In 1 Peter 2, 23... Peter says this, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This is Peter, the same guy who grabbed the sword when they tried to arrest Jesus and cut off the, uh, the guy's ear, Malchus. But now some... 30 years later, Peter is looking and saying, Jesus was exactly right. This is not how you solve things. And he looks and he thinks about Jesus did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted, he entrusted all of that injustice, all of that stuff to him who judges justly. Because when we entrust ourselves to him who judges justly, we don't need to go to a human court. We don't need a human judge. Jesus went through multiple human courts, didn't he? Did Jesus get a good deal in those multiple courts on that Thursday night leading up to his death? Of course he did not. But Jesus accepted that because in spite of that injustice, he trusted that God would bring about true justice that people really needed. Love and reconciliation through that injustice. If God had brought about injustice, we would all be doomed. Think about that. I don't know about you, but I really don't want justice. Because when I really think about justice... It's going to get me eventually, isn't it? It's going to get you eventually because we can't live up to it. We can point out everybody else's inconsistencies and then I realize it's mine. Let me, let me ask you all this. How many times have you had somebody go over the line and come towards you and you're like, oh my goodness, that freaks you out, doesn't it? Now, let me ask you this. How many of you have been that person? You know what I'm saying? This week, I thought I had a tick on me. And I was looking at it, and I realized I was over the line, and I had to whip it over real quick. And I go, yeah, and somebody was, you know, I'm sure yelling obscenities at me. But at that moment, I thought about this. I go, I can't be perfect all the time. I'm The very thing that I would yell and honk my horn at somebody about, you could have killed me. I was doing. We have to trust that God will bring about the justice, and we don't really want justice. Because if we get justice, guess what? All of us will fail the test. And we'll spend eternity apart from God. So what we really want is grace. And that's what Paul's saying. He goes, instead of taking people to court, how about rather be wronged? How about rather be cheated and show some grace to these people? Yeah, they didn't pay their rent maybe. Or maybe their crops didn't produce what they thought it was. So are you going to take them to court over this? Or you could have grace and mercy like God did for you. And it's interesting, and Paul's being serious about this. So practically speaking, what do these questions have to do with your life and my life? Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Is my first priority me and my world at all costs always? If my order is not exactly right at lunch today, how am I going to react? You ever had somebody at your table react to their wrong order being wrong and you're embarrassed? how they treat the server, I can't stand that. I'm so glad I worked food service a while. And the way people treated me, I said, I will never treat people like that. I was so glad God taught me that. And I was an idiot working at Six Flags at food service, but still, it taught me a lot about how you treat people. If my, if my snack fails to fall out of the vending machine, how do I react? It took my money. You stupid machine, you're shaking the machine. How does that reflect Jesus? If my candidate... ...doesn't win in, what, 90 days or whatever it is? Do I badmouth the process? Do I badmouth the president for the next four years? How does that reflect Jesus to the rest of the world? If I don't make the team, do I criticize the coach? Do I criticize the team, the system? How does that reflect Jesus? If I don't get the grade I thought I should get... ...do I badmouth the teacher? Do I badmouth the school? How does that reflect Jesus? If I don't get the promotion at work, do I criticize the company? Do I badmouth the boss and the manager and start coasting at work because I didn't get what I thought I should get? How does that reflect Jesus? If I don't get what I want in the divorce, do I badmouth my former spouse? And every time there's a decision concerning the kids, am I going to give them a hard time and make it as difficult as I can? How does that reflect Jesus? Jesus was asked one time, a guy yelled at him in a crowd in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 15. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And again... Jesus is saying you should be able to work these things out between yourselves. But you're worried about things that you're not going to get. Paul is saying here that when you go about life with your self-interest as priority number one. That is a worldly wisdom. That is the system of the world. When you take people to court in order not just to get justice but also to possibly get a big payday. How does that reflect Jesus? It does not. You all know what ambulance chasers are? One call, that's all. Not against people getting justice. It's not what I'm saying. I have a friend right now who's waiting, got hit in a crosswalk last Christmas, major concussion, major head injury, still having, and he's waiting. It's been oh you know, it's getting close to a year. He doesn't know what's gonna happen with that. I, I believe those are true. But y'all know what I'm talking about. Big paydays. And Paul is saying. This is going on in this particular church. And he knows the exact things. These people who are hearing this letter, they know the exact things. It's personal to them. And he's saying it's cheating and it's wrong and this is going on. And this is going on among the people. Can you imagine if you knew you had this terrible hardship? Like right now when you lost your job and you couldn't pay for your house or whatever it was. And you go to your landlord and you say, man, just give me a break. You know I lost my job. You know I'm not going to be able to do this. Please just give me a break. And they're going, no, I'm sorry. The law said you signed this contract. I'm sorry you lost your job, but that's the way it is. I need my money. We would all go, what in the world? Why can't you have some grace and mercy? Now can you imagine that person goes through with it and takes you to court, and now you are having to live with some family members or something like that. And guess what? You walk in Sunday morning for worship, and there's that person. Boy, that's a good experience to worship with that guy, isn't it? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Is that a good worship experience? And that's what Paul's saying. It affects what goes on in the body of Christ. He says that's wicked, and the wicked will miss out on inheriting God's kingdom. And then he goes on to this list of practices that can be completely defeating for us from inheriting God's kingdom. Now, I'm going to read these. Please do not read anything into these. We're going to address these particular issues in my next sermon. Actually, next week, Isaiah's going to preach, and I'm going to address this in the next sermon I do. But listen to what Paul says. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. None of those is worse than the others, no matter how we try to frame that. These are all things that separate us from being who God intended us to be. They all involve a self centered self gratification that is oblivious to the other person or the needs or rights of the others who are involved. Paul is not talking about momentary failures in the flesh that result in, oh, you, you messed up, so now you lose your salvation. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's talking about a way of life that one persistently, listen carefully, persistently pursues, which is contrary to God's kingdom and God's righteousness. An inheritance is something that you get. You do nothing to receive it or gain it. Someone graciously thought about me. They thought about you and gave you or leave you something of value. But in order to possess that inheritance, we have to receive it, embrace it. But there are those who will not take possession of their inheritance because they will have willfully Chosen to persistently pursue something other than their inheritance in Christ. And they will pursue a persistence of the world. A possession of the world. The wisdom of the world. That's what they're pursuing. Now God gives everyone the same opportunity to inherit his kingdom. And some will receive it. They will embrace it. They will share it with others. And they will live as a child of the king. While others will reject it. They will deny it. And as John says in his letter... They will live as a child of the devil. And you're like, seriously, Craig, are you going to get all that crazy stuff? Like it's either this or that? That's what Jesus says. That's what Paul's saying. It's either this or that. We're either a child of the king and we appreciate and know his wisdom and we live that way, or we're not. We're a child of the devil. Are you saying that people? I'm not saying it. This is what God's word says. John says in his letter, in 1 John 3, 4 through 10, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But do you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins? And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. We can't continue in that way of life. And then Paul makes this incredible reminder to the Corinthian church and to me and to you. He says, all that list of things, and you can say, oh, that's so-and-so, or that's so-and-so, or oh, that's me. That whole list applies at some point. But he says, that's what some of you were. I was with you for a year and a half. And I know some of you did persistently pursue these things. And then you made a transformation. And you died to that old way of life. And you took Jesus into your life. You allowed the Holy Spirit to start living through you. And you changed dramatically. Why are you going back to that old way of life? And he's reminding him, that's what you were. You were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified. And here's the good news of the gospel, y'all. We... Me, you, we are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified in the name of Jesus Christ, aren't we? We are no longer who we used to be. And if we really believe that, and if we really embrace that, it should make me stop and reflect every day of my life, everywhere I am on my behavior. Do I want to do something that completely defeats my witness for Jesus, or do something that completely gives victory to and reflects My inheritance in Jesus. I don't know about y'all, but I want to reflect what my inheritance is to Jesus. Because when people see that in my life and see that in your life, they want some of that, don't they? That's what they want in their lives. So this morning, we're going to offer that opportunity. Maybe there's somebody here today. And you are persistently pursuing something that maybe is outside of what God has called you to be. And you're ready to give that up and, and move forward. We want to give that opportunity to do that. And maybe you're not comfortable doing that today, but I want to encourage you to talk with someone. I'll be glad to talk to you this week, but talk to someone you love and you trust that knows you and your life. And talk these things over. Don't, again, let it be a fleeting thought. And recognize that you have an amazing inheritance that we've been given through Jesus Christ. And you want to reflect that in every part of your life. If you have a decision today, we ask you to come forward as Mike comes and leads us. Let's stand together.